0: We've been going through a series briefly here on the fact that we are to worship and obey the Lord our God only and bow not our knee at anyone else. And we've taken a look at two different occasions of that one where three young Hebrew men refused to bow down and worship an idol and they were thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And the Lord was with them, and they survived, and nothing had any impact on them. Their yeah. Hair wasn't singed. Their clothes didn't smell of Uh-oh. smoke. Nothing. And then we saw Daniel, who continued to pray without ceasing, whether he was told that he could only pray to the king, and he continued to do what he had always done and prayed three times toward Jerusalem, for the deliverance of his people. He found himself in a lion's den. In both of those instances, oh, we didn't bring it up, there was something about these two events that the people who participated in them didn't say, woe is me, how unfairly am I treated, this isn't right. We as Americans have a tendency to when we suffer persecution or or at least ridicule or mocking that that we think, oh, it's so undeserved and maybe God has abandoned us. And I wanted to look at this particular reason because that is not the case for us. There is a sense that if, if you've raised children or you've been around people, there is a sense that we always tell people, there's only one thing that you can control, your attitude. And there's kind of the sense of, It's like the uh, young person who's making and building a Archimedes screw. Now, if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. But they're trying to make it and they're discouraged and say, I can't build it. And then someone, a parent or one said, you need to be positive. And so they'll respond, I'm positive. I can't build it. Or we're kind of like the person who buys two lottery tickets. And one of the tickets is the maximum jackpot and multi-millions dollars are being paid out and the second lottery ticket didn't get anything and you're upset because you bought the second ticket. You know, we tend to always think, we only want the blessings and how come and whatever. And so I want to take a look at these people who happen to be Peter and John, who decided to do what God had called them to do and not what man had told them not to do. And their attitude. So in the context here. Is that Jesus. Was crucified. And laid in the tomb. And was raised from the dead on the third day. And there was an excitement. And a change in his. Disciples. And they became encouraged. And Jesus. Didn't just hang around for the first. After the first reading. He was with them. For an additional 40 days. And then after those 40 days, he said, not many days from now, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be bold witnesses. And he will tell them that they were to be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and through the uttermost parts of the earth. And so after that 40 days, he leaves. And 10 days later is Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit does come upon them. And they start speaking in other languages, and people start wondering why. And Peter preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord. And then throughout the rest of the time, people are coming daily and becoming converted, and they're sharing all things, and, and, and there's a unique experience. And then Peter and John decide that they're going to the temple to pray. And as they go, there's a a young man who is lame and he's begging. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give to you. He says, rise up in the name of Jesus and walk. And he begins to walk and he's jumping and he's praising God. And Peter preaches another message. But in between these two messages, the Sanhedrin and other religious leaders had arrested them and told them that they were not to preach this Jesus. And they impressed upon him sternly that they were to keep quiet. And Peter says, well, you be the judge whether it's right for us to obey men or God. So he kind of puts it on their shoulders, you know. But what do you think? Are we supposed to obey men or God? Well, after this second series that Peter then preaches another sermon, 5,000 people are converted. Well, with this, all Jerusalem is in an uproar and things are happening. And now the religious authorities have had enough. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, it starts, But the high priest rose up along with the associates, that is the sect of Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Now, you've got both religious parties upset here. You've got the Pharisees who do believe in a resurrection and the Sadducees who don't believe in a resurrection, but neither one are happy that they're talking about Jesus who rose from the dead. And all of these people being converted to the way. But they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, Go, start, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now the high priest and the, his associates came and they called the council together even all the Senate of the sons of Israel. And they sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison and they returned and reported back. Saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the door. But when when it was opened, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these things, these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come about of this. So they're arrested. They're thrown in jail for the night because you can't have the court proceedings during the evening. So they wait, been accused, thrown in jail. And now they're going to have their hearing, but they're not there. Everything's locked up tight. God in his miraculous ability sent an angel not to open the prison door, but to get them out with the door still locked. You see, we always want to tell God what to do and how to do it. God does things far greater and better than we could ever imagine. So he gets them out of prison and jail, but he doesn't do so by opening up or knocking out the prison guard. He just takes them out of the jail and no one can figure out how this happened but someone came and reported to them the men whom you put into prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people now see they were arrested for doing this very thing and had been told sternly you're not to do it but their response was we're going to listen to you or We're going to listen to God Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. Now, I want you to again notice two things. The guard who went to arrest them are afraid of the people. Now, Peter and John could have said, we're going to take this opportunity to be protected by the people. And we're not going with you because they don't want us. They don't want you to. But they complied and they went so that no violence would happen even though there was fear of violence. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching have intended to bring this man's blood upon us. So he's saying, we have told you not to do it. We've told you not to teach. And you keep doing this, not only, but you're trying to, in essence, their thinking is to get the people all riled up, that they will take them on because they were responsible, as they think, for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But Peter and the apostles answered, we And I want you to notice, must obey God rather than men. He didn't say it's a good idea. He didn't say we choose to. He said we must obey God rather than men. All too often, we want to obey God when the majority of people say it's okay to obey God but we're living in a times where it's less and less going to be popular to obey God. Because, you know, you Christians, you're so narrow-minded. You think that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And it wasn't our idea, because Jesus, who is the only way to the Father, told us that. We're only following the teachings of our Lord. And he has told us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, and that's where we are in the uttermost parts of the world, and we are to be his witnesses, and we are to do that regardless of the consequence, regardless of whether people applaud it or mock it. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death, by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Now you see, Peter is preaching the gospel to those who would never hear it unless they were arrested. Because they weren't interested in here. They weren't going to go to revival meeting. They weren't going to go to church. They, weren't going to, they were going to do what they're going to do. And in this situation where they were arrested and instructed not to and told, you are not to do this under penalty, they said, we're going to do it. we must obey God. And Peter chooses to preach to them. He doesn't end it by saying, okay, we're going to do what we're going to do because God told us to do it. He continues and preaches and teaches to them. Maybe God puts you in an uncomfortable situation for the very purpose of being able to give the testimony of him in that situation where you would not otherwise be able. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We saw Jesus crucified. We saw him buried, and we saw him alive. And we are testifying to this. And not only us, the Holy Spirit also has testified who Jesus is. And he's been doing so in, at Pentecost and at the, resur- and, and the raising of the slain man and the, the call of these 5,000. God is doing a work. The Holy Spirit is working in the lives. Here in Jerusalem. And he's not only working in Peter and John, but in those eight thousand people plus who gave their lives to him. But they heard when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and it killed and intended to kill them. You see, in our Wonderful mini series. How we like to watch the movies, there is an opening, and everything is wonderful. And then there's conflict, and then there's resolution, and usually that resolution is good. My wife loves good ending, she hates bad ending. There's a I won't name the movie, but there is a particular movie. When it starts, the, the main actor is going to die because he's already drinking some poison or something, and there's no cure, and he's going to die. And at the end of the movie, he dies. And my wife's upset because he died. And I go, But I told you that at the beginning. She goes, But I was hoping there would be some change. She's a positive person. She's not the one that says, I'm positive it's going to fail. She's always hoped for the best. They were preaching Jesus. The response is they were convicted, but rather than responding to the Lord as their Lord and Savior, they decided let's get rid of them. Let's kill them. Gamiel, who is a rabbi, intercedes. Now Gamiel was Saul's, who later became Paul's mentor. And he gives them counsel. And he goes, You know, guys, we've kind of had this experience before. There have been others who have come who claim to have been Messiah. And we've dealt with them, and sometimes we put them down, and sometimes whatever. And he goes, "Let's let's look at it. If if there's anything to this, if God's in it, then we're going to be in, pro, in in great difficulty because we're working against God. And if God isn't in it, it's just going to fall apart. So let's just not do anything. Let's let's just stay calm. Let's not kill them because if we kill them we'll make them martyrs, and will make it worse. And it says that they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them, and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. They flogged them. They They didn't just take a ruler and snap their little fingers and say, naughty boys. They beat them. The stripes on their back. Now they could have used the cat of nine tails and ripped the flesh off. They just simply flogged them. Simply. But you and I would say, well, I thought God was going to come and deliver. I mean, he he kept three Hebrew young men safe. He kept Daniel safe. Yeah, they were going to kill them, and and they don't. But they flogged them. They beat them. There was great pain inflicted, and then told not to teach and preach Jesus again. And then they let him go. And so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer this shame for his name. Awesome. What a response to being persecuted. That they, instead of going, woe is me, God failed me, it's terrible. You know, maybe next time I won't say anything. They rejoice at the opportunity to have been considered worthy. Because perhaps they took Jesus' teaching seriously. Seriously. And Jesus said, the student, the disciple, is not above his master. And if they persecute me, they will persecute you. He also very early in his ministry had a sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And as a part of that sermon, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. For great is their reward in heaven. So maybe, perhaps, they were thinking that they were considered so valuable and worthy to suffer that, in exchange, that they were going to receive riches in heaven. Attitude. Attitude. Instead of saying, "What was me?" And like I said, we didn't see. In the Hebrew men, we didn't see in Daniel this rejoicing. But I believe it was understood. Because they never rebuked anybody. They never complained to God. A matter of fact, they even said, oh, king, live forever. They had no resentment for those who persecuted them. Because they were worthy to suffer for his name. What is or will be our attitude when it is no longer popular to be a believer? Now, in our country for a number of years, it has been okay to be a believer. As a matter of fact, there was a section in our country called the Bible Belt. And a lot of people went to church not necessarily because they were believers, but because it was socially acceptable to go to church. And if you didn't go to church, maybe people wouldn't give you business. There's going to come a time that it's not going to be popular to attend church or to worship. There are certainly places throughout the world today that that is the case. Whether it be because of other religions that do not tolerate Christians or other secularists or atheists, whoever who do not tolerate our faith? Do we worship him because he's our Lord? Or do we worship him because men say it's okay to do? so? And notice, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It didn't matter how they were instructed. It didn't matter how they were punished. It didn't matter whether they were placed in prison or not. God had told them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's where they were. And that's what they were going to do. Now we're not in Jerusalem. We're in the uttermost part of the world. And he has told us, to be his witnesses. Now. I admit you can't tell people that you saw Jesus rise from the dead. But if he has revealed himself to you. And you have declared him as Savior and Lord. And he's dwelling in you. Then you can tell people that he isn't buried. That he is alive and well. And not only walking the world. He's walking and living inside of me. You can be a witness of what you know and what you've experienced. You don't give a testimony about what somebody else did. You give a testimony of what God has done for you. We love to hear testimonies about people who have been drug addicted or whatever and that they've gone off drugs and now they're living a holy life. We wonder, that's a wonderful testimony. I'll tell you another wonderful testimony. person who grew up in church loved the Lord, knew that the God existed, and gave themselves to him at an early age and never wandered from his presence and was faithful to him as he was faithful to them. What a wonderful testimony. But my testimony is not your testimony, and your testimony is not my testimony. But we should be willing to testify And we should be willing to do so whether or not it is popular and whether or not we are persecuted from it. And we should always remember these two who said, I have been counted worthy to suffer for him. Maybe the reason we haven't suffered for him the way we ought Because he knows that we don't have much of a back. And at the first opportunity, we would chicken out. Maybe there are those of us who say, bring it on. You can tell me what you want to tell me. But I'm going to obey God. And I'm going to worship And I'm going to serve Him only. And if you persecute me, I'm not above my Master. And I am going to rejoice and sing His praises as I've been counted worthy. And I am going to be richer and richer in heaven. Now, let's and and I bring this up, and I'm going to bring up one this other times, we want the nicest house that we can afford we want the nicest car we can afford As a matter of fact we want a nicer house and a nicer car than we can afford so we go overly broke to get those things and there are people who will give you a uh, counsel like saying what you need to do is live in the nicest richest community that you can afford even if you can only afford a room there because we think that it's great to associate with rich people and powerful people. And we need to be in those places and we like luxury and we like nice things. And we, we, we like what we like. Well, if we like those things who are only temporary, they always love it. We're going to have our forever house. The forever house is going to last you maybe 30 years and then you're going to be gone. Then it's going to be somebody else's house. But, Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven that will be our forever house. And if we're not satisfied living in Orange County and we we complain that we can't be in Malibu on the beach and whatever, what makes you think you're going to be satisfied with just the basics in heaven? Why not be rich in it? Why not be... You, you name their billionaire. There's plenty of them and I don't want to give them any more credit. What if you were that person in heaven? And then you would say, you know why I'm this person in heaven? Because of Jesus. I'm only here because of him. I'm living in his house. In a neighborhood known as heaven because our God dwells in. I can't think of a better place to live. Attitude. Oh, woe is me. Or awesome. God has counted me worthy. And all God's people said.